Would you please join me for a word of prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Love of the Lord Jesus seems to be at some points inescapable. People try to run, people try to hide, people try to get out, people try to avoid. And no matter what, Jesus, if you're on his radar, which you are, he's inescapable. He never quits, he never gives up on us, he never falls back, he never surrenders. He always pursues, he always angles, he always uses the situations in your life and in the world to lead people to see him and his love, to help us see him more clearly. It's what he does. He's inescapable. Sometimes he pushes really hard and it's, you think you're going to break and, and then things ease up and, and there's Jesus. And sometimes he's got this light little persuasive way of doing things in your life and, and, and then you look and you say, I didn't need a kick in the shorts, I just needed a little push. It's hard to escape. Jesus. I've been a pastor 28 years and one month. And uh, I got to thinking about that this week. 28 years and one month. So basically, I've been preaching for 32 years. I have one sermon I preached 25 times my fourth year of seminary on Hebrews 12, 1 to 4. And uh, I just traveled all up and down southern Illinois preaching that one sermon. That's my million-dollar sermon. But other than that, I've pretty much written a sermon some weeks, four or five, but mostly a sermon a week. I bet I've averaged a sermon a week over 30, well, let's say 28 years. And there's kind of a formula to sermons we were taught to write. And as you get older, it becomes different. Because I know you and you know me. I can't uh, blow smoke at you so much. There's enough of you that know me so well that you go, Pastor, you're so full of beans on that that it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even hold the stink test. That, that story you told is the dumbest thing in the history of the world. And you tell me that through the cards that you send me that, <laughs> that I want to have removed from the pew rack that I've failed. I've, I lose on that every time. But, but the basic formula is this. Sin is bad. Jesus died for you. Now love people. And when you know people and you love people, it's more murky and more sophisticated than that. On my vicarage in southern Illinois at Zion Lutheran Church in Belleville, um, there was a pastor there who loved me. His name was Pastor Leonard Klitzing, Pastor K. And Pastor K loved me in such a way that he mentored me. And it wasn't always pleasant and it always, always wasn't nice. He would say, he always called me vicar, well, vicar. Let's go play basketball. And he was about 70 at the time. I was 24, 20, I was 25, 24, 25. And Pastor K always made his free throws. No matter what, Pastor K always made his free throws. So he'd always beat me. I would always lose. And then when I fouled him because of the medication he took to keep his blood thin, I found out later, his hands would bruise very easily. And he'd come to work the next day and go, Vicar, you couldn't even beat me. And look how hard you beat me up. Huh. I would get up and preach. Pastor K would say, your sermon was too long. Your sermon was too short. What he, what he said that I, that, that I took to heart was, you prepare too much for your messages. 
And I thought, you have to prepare for your messages. And he said, no, I just write about four things down and I stand up and start preaching and 25 minutes later, I'm done. I'm like, I ain't doing that. After one message, he grabbed me, he said, your formula is like a hacksaw. You don't divide law and gospel with a hacksaw. And I said, what do you mean? He said, people's lives are murky. It's not as black and white as you think. And as you get older and you get to know people, you're going to understand that the way people love and the way people connect in their lives, there's just no formula that speaks to that. You need to begin to speak to people's hearts and lives through the scriptures with a laser instead of with a hacksaw. Jesus didn't have a lot of formulas in his preaching except for this one. He loved people where they were. Man, did Jesus love people. No matter where he went, no matter what he did, he loved people. People who struggled, well people, sick people, handicapped people, ethnic people. He loved obedient people, dishonest people, poor people, wealthy people. He loved humble people. His messages, his life stories are all filled with his marvelous love. No matter what, he fills his hearers or in the moment of healing, he fills them with a sense of love. Not just kind of love, like, hey, that's great, Hallmark cards and hummingbirds, but with great love, sacrificial love, unconditional love. And it's that love of Jesus that's really hard to escape from, especially when he's got you on his radar. If you'd grab your bulletin for me and, and just look at that John 21 passage, there's a whole lot more that goes into that conversation with Peter and Jesus than, than, than just the two fellas having lunch by the breakfast by the side of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter was a guy who maybe didn't want to see Jesus because Peter was always a big talker. Peter was always the one who'd stand up and say, I'm the big man, I've got this figured out. Two years ago, I wrote a 50-page paper on Peter for my doctor of ministry program, and, and I love it, right? I, I, I feel like I'm a kindred spirit with Peter. He, he's loud, and he talked too much, and he got in his own way, and he had to go back and apologize, and, and sometimes you just want when you're in that situation like a trap door or a window that you can jump out, and Jesus never gives Peter that opportunity. And sometimes he doesn't give us that, give us that opportunity. We got to deal with what we're dealing with to get through it, to experience the, the victory on the other side of whatever situation is before us. So there's a moment where Peter overspoke. Duh. Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. He said, this is what's coming down. The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of simple men. He'll die and rise again on the third day, and it's going to be great. Peter said, there is no way that's going to happen to you, Lord. We're not doing a cross and execution and all that stuff. That's not coming down. Jesus' words back to Peter were, you get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You can almost hear Peter go, uh. So now towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he's got his disciples together. He said, you guys are going to scatter and go. It's going to get hard, and when it gets hard, you all are out of here. And Peter stepped up. He said, not me. These 11 losers, they'll all be gone, but not me. I'm, I'm in, man. I'm in deep, Jesus. I'm in with you all the way. This is how it's going to be, and I've got it figured out. And no matter what happens, I will step up when I'm called to step up. And then Peter was called to step up around a fire in a courtyard 
The Lord had said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. And so a girl around the fire says, you're a Galilean, you're one of them. And Peter says, no, I am not. I am not with Jesus. And another person around the fire says, you talk like a Galilean. Of course you're with Jesus. Peter says, there is no way I am with that man. And then the third time, he calls a curse down upon himself. And the rooster crowed and the scriptures replied that Peter wept bitterly. A loveless way to go. If you're going to step back, don't set yourself up. At least look at Jesus with some postmodern thing and say, well, maybe I'll be there and maybe I won't, but we'll see when the time comes. No, Peter, Peter was now trapped. So they go back fishing, the disciples do. They go back to what they're comfortable with. They go back to their way of life. And there in the boat, all of a sudden, a guy yells from the shore after they'd fished and caught nothing all night. A guy yells from the shore, hey, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. You'll catch a lot of fish. And if you've ever been fishing like that in the lakes of Minnesota, someone tells you, hey, maybe you should fish on the other side of the boat. You're like, ah, shit, you don't know anything. So they put their net in on the other side of the boat. They bring up 159 fish or whatnot. Peter and John working in the boat. They elbow one another. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter binds his clothing around his waist, jumps out into the water and sprints to the shore. And it's Jesus. There's a fire. There's some bread and some fish. The boys are going to be back together again. I picture that campfire with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee as one of the warmest pieces in Scripture. They laugh and they talk and they share the stories of thus and such. Jesus, isn't it good to see you back? We saw your hands inside a week or so ago. And... But I always wonder what goes on in Peter's heart. Does he sit on kind of the outside wondering if he's going to be okay? Is he, is he still kind of at odds with Jesus? Does he feel guilty? Does he feel shameful? What's going on in the heart of that big old fisherman? So Jesus turns and looks at Peter in the eyes and gives him the words of John 21. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. No, Peter, do you, do you really love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then one more time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And now Peter's broken. Now Peter feels the pain of the denial of his friend. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And there is that marvelous love of Jesus. Instead of saying, I told you so, or shaming his friend, he says, I love you. He doesn't bring it back up and bring back the denial and say, you know, I told you and this is how it was going to be. He loves Peter. And at the end of that text, he restores him. He doesn't say, you know, you can play second banana and follow John around. He says, follow me. Like he said to him three years ago by the Sea of Galilee. Follow me. 
been a pastor for 28 years. At the seminary, they don't give you a crystal ball to look into everybody's heart and life. As a pastor who's fairly engaged with his people, I, I do know what goes on in, in, in many of your lives. I, I, I do know that there are significant relationships that are strained. I know that there are people who, who struggle with feeling loved and feeling alone. I know that there's people who struggle with feeling abandoned. I know there's people that because of the sin and the brokenness in their life, feel like they can never be loved. And if Jesus were coming to them, they, they, they'd hit a button for a trap door. Or maybe open a window and jump out because the last thing they want to do is have a conversation with Jesus. But Jesus and his love are inescapable. So where are you in the light of your most significant relationships? Where are you with Jesus? Do you see Jesus working in the circumstances, the situations, and the relationships of your life to mold you and shape you for what's coming in your life? Do you have a heart that's struggling with someone or something? Maybe Jesus is working in your space and in your time like he worked in Peter's life. And maybe right now this morning, he's tugging on you a little bit with those marvelous words, I love you. This sermon series has been a delight to preach on. In a different sermon for eight verses, I've got a different sermon each time. But the one common thread are those three words. You are loved. You are loved. And I don't speak those words to your intellect. I speak those words to your soul. You are loved. All the work of Jesus says, I love you. And we as Christians are convinced of that because of his death sealing that love on the cross. There's nothing that Jesus wouldn't give for you. And so he signed and sealed his love for you at the cross. You don't feel loved, you feel alone. Look to Jesus. He didn't escape when he had the opportunity. Rather, he walked through the passageway of death to earn love for you. And at this place and in this time, even this morning, he comes with words of promise and words of hope. He loves you. You are love. And I love the reality in this text. He doesn't go and unbear or uh, dig up Peter's past. He said, you know, Peter, we got some reckoning to do here. I got a whole nother chapter of John's gospel that's going to be me beating you up. That's not the way Jesus operates. Not once is it recorded that he looked at Peter and said, I told you so. Rather, he looks at Peter with love, speaks with him with a softness, and then restores Peter to worthwhile service. So too with us, the Lord doesn't lead and put our noses back in our misdeeds and our failures. We may be aware of them because we can't forget, but God in his divine mercy forgets our failures and the power of his love is so extreme and so pervasive that it's like our sins never happened because they're left at Calvary's cross. Jesus forgives and forgets our denials, misdeeds, broken pieces left at the cross, never to be unburied and brought back up, but done. And that's love. 
That's the love of Jesus that is inescapable for you. Who loves you the most? Sometimes the people that love you the most offer you criticism simply because they love you. And sometimes that's really hard to take. Sometimes those cards in the pew rack, they, uh, you just, I get a few of those. And every so often I'll go, man, I preached a sermon, the gates of hell, we're, man, we're killing it, this is the best sermon I've ever preached. The whole Western church should hear this sermon. This is the finest sermon that anyone ever preached since the Sermon on the Mount, and it's close between me and Jesus. And then I get a card. <laughs> and the card says, your sermon was bad, or you lied, or... Uh, the, one I, the one I can't stand is you didn't preach the Bible. Like, oh. <laughs> now I don't want to see a, car, a stack of cards this big that says, oh, you didn't preach the Bible. <laughs> so I have a friend, a very dear friend, someone who loves me very deeply, not here this morning, but his dear wife is, uh, Bill, Bill Darlin. And Bill would leave me cards and send me emails and, and he would say, you've got to finish the sermon, Pastor. You didn't finish the sermon. And he would do this time and time again. And because he loved me, he knew just how to get under my skin. And finally, one day, I, I called him from my truck. I said, darling, it's not even 11 o'clock. I, I just got done with church, and I got this cruddy note from you. What the heck are you thinking? I just preached the best sermon in the history of the world. He goes, you didn't finish your sermon, Clink. So what do you mean I finished my sermon? I preached 25 minutes. People told me I preached too long. He goes, you didn't finish your sermon. You didn't tell us how it applies into our lives. So you just went into the formula. You just said sin is bad, Jesus is good. Now what? But see, people who love much can encourage you from their soul, which is what Bill Darlin was doing for me. So we're going to finish this sermon, not with my words, but with words from Peter, from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love one another deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. And how do we love each other? Well, we love in the same way the Lord Jesus loved Peter. Maybe Peter could write about love so beautifully and so succinctly because he knew what it was all about, having been loved of Jesus. So we finish our sermon and our series and do our homework with real people in the real world, not in such a specific way and not in an easy way because we live in a messy and murky world, but we do so with great love. So the homework is to love God and love people. And here's what it looks like. Be patient and kind. Don't envy, don't boast, don't be proud, don't be rude or self-seeking. Don't be easily angered, don't keep a list of someone else's offenses. Don't delight in bad things, but rejoice in the truth. Protect, trust, persevere all the time. Rejoice with the truth. Then you'll know what Peter knew. That God's love in Christ for you is inescapable. Because that love that comes from Christ to you, that love never 
ever fails. Amen.